0: On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 big questions which he believed faced the church of his day to a local church door in Wittenberg, Germany. 500 years later, I decided to post 95 new questions, one a week, to the web, questions which I believe the church must face in the 21st century. As someone recently said to me, all that God loves you talk is fine as far as it goes, but what about hell? Isn't the Christian message more accurately, more honestly, God is fickle, not love? So be careful not to upset him or you'll be damned by him forever. So over the next few episodes of Chalk Talk, I want to think about what the various writers of the Bible and particularly the Apostle Paul who's been regularly presented as the angry apostle, the peddler of an uncompromising message of divine judgment, really believed about life beyond death. And today, I want to start by asking what it was that informed Paul's worldview, the lens through which he saw the afterlife, the ideas that shaped his understanding. Because when we see things the way we are, rather than the way they are, we always delude ourselves. The archaeologists tell us that the fertile crescent of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt formed one of the world's cradles of civilization. Stretching back at least 6,000 years, these civilizations have left us with records of their early ideas around what we've come to know today as heaven and hell. Ideas which, as they developed, passed on into Greek culture, then onto the Romans, and finally, on down to us. The ancient peoples of Earth were fascinated by the movements of the stars, and especially by the sun and its nightly journey under the Earth through the hours of darkness. As they watched and studied, they began to apply what they saw to the journey of the human soul after death. It seemed clear to them that, just like the sun, they would be plunged into the darkness of the underworld, but held out the hope that every human soul might somehow at last reach the world of the stars. As far as we know, however, it was the ancient Egyptians who first developed an element of moral fitness as a factor in determining the quality of your life after death. For them, on death, the soul was required to give an account of its life on earth to the gods. However, the good news was that, although this was the case, in reality there was very little to be worried about because it was possible to completely avoid any negative judgment from the gods by reciting a declaration before your death that you'd not killed or stolen or been deceitful in life at all. And as an extra guarantee, you could also take offerings which acted like bribes with you into the tomb. In short, although the details were hazy and vague, life beyond this one in whatever form was not worth worrying about too much. It would be okay. And all this was true in just the same way in ancient Greek tradition. Here, the underworld was ruled over by the god Hades, who also gave his name to it, and the Greek writers, for instance Homer, painted it as a tedious and shadowy underworld, a miserable and boring place where the sun's rays didn't penetrate, a giant holding bay where all people, went when they died, regardless of how well or how badly they'd lived their lives on earth. And although a few famous sinners could be found there who were being punished forever, most of the souls, or shades, the spirits of the dead, as they were called, were simply waiting for some unknown and vague onward journey. So although once more there was a faint threat, it really wasn't that much to get yourself worried about. So what about the Bible? In the Old Testament, in a similar way to the literature of the Egyptians and Greeks, the whole issue of the afterlife lacks clarity. Sheol, a Hebrew word which is used 65 times, means the grave or the pit, and it's the name of the place to which all the dead go, every single one of them, regardless of the moral choices they've made in life. It's vital, therefore, to understand that it's a giant mistake to think of Sheol as the Hebrew word for our modern, western idea of hell. Sheol's neither a place of pain or pleasure, neither punishment or reward. Instead, it's a shadowy world where you hope that God will protect you and eventually lead you on to something better. It's also well worth noting that when the texts of the Hebrew Bible were translated into Greek around 200 BC, the word Hades, the Greek underworld, was introduced as a substitute as a translation for the Hebrew word Sheol. In the Bible, Therefore Sheol and Hades become synonymous with one another and neither of them equates to our idea of hell or eternal conscious torment. All agree that we reach the end of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, with no clear or firm ideas about the nature of the afterlife and no depictions of anything much to be dreaded. Indeed, according to King David, the composer of Psalm 16, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest secure, because you, God, will not abandon me to the realm of the dead to Sheol, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. It may have been vague, but the Jewish people had the idea that there was hope rather than damnation beyond the underworld. After all, they were the people that God loved and had chosen, and this, along with the teaching of Jesus, was the worldview that Paul inherited. You can read much more about all of this in my new book, The Lost Message of Paul, and we pick things up again in coming editions of Chalk Talk. But for now, I want to leave you with a question. If, as the Bible insists, God is love, why do you think that so many people worry that God will eventually turn out to be less good than we might have hoped for? I say much more about all of this in my new book entitled The Lost Message of Paul, which is out now. You can order your copy from openchurch.network slash lostmessageofpaul.